Hello, everybody. Welcome to On The Verge. I'm your co-host, Kenneth, alongside Ali Reza and David. Today, we're very lucky to be joined by Ben Cox, a Qigong teacher in Oxford. For over 20 years, his interest in Tai Chi, Qigong, and meditation have grown into a passion, leading to the study of Chinese medicine, classical Chinese language and culture, and participating in multiple teaching apprenticeships. This journey is ongoing and has taken him to China, Australia, and all over Europe in the pursuit of greater knowledge and understanding. In addition to running Clearwater Qi Arts, he also practices Chinese medicine in Oxford and is involved in the teaching and coordination of Qigong at the College of Integrated Chinese Medicine, including assessment and syllabus design. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. It's good to be here. So I thought we could first start by you telling us about how you trained in Qigong. Cool. So I started training in Qigong in 2000. Uh, I just turned 18 and I just got really into it and I wanted to know how it worked and that led me to studying Chinese medicine because at that time, I'm not that old, but if you, if you were on the internet in 2000, there was very, very little available about certain topics like detailed things on Chinese medicine or how Qigong worked technically. So if you really wanted to learn, you basically had to go and learn Chinese medicine if you really want to learn the sort of technical side. Mm -hmm. So yeah, started at 18 and trained. There's several major styles of Tai Chi, uh, Sun style, Chen, Yang and Wu are the main styles generally. Um, I think Yang, Chen, Wu, Yang. I think I'm, I'll get there. <laughs> anyway, I trained I train in Sun, effectively a variant of Sun style Tai Chi first, which is one of the major styles from Sun Yutang. Uh, with a teacher called Lam Kam Chen, who I also did standing Qigong with. That was a big practice of his, so I used to go and do an hour of standing Qigong every week. Uh, I trained that lineage for about four years. That overlap was starting to train in a, in someone with someone who had trained in a, uh, a lineage of Taoism called the uh, Complete Reality School of Taoism, Transgen Taoism, and doing Qigong with them. That was spontaneous Qigong was their main thing. I uh, then also trained in two different lineages of Wu style, a lineage of Yang style Tai Chi. Uh, yeah, so I did a lot of Tai Chi in standing Qigong first, and then I got really into more the Qigong's linked to Taoism. I started that in about 2004. And all this is ongoing while I'm training in Chinese medicine, which was from 2002 to 2007. And then when I graduated, I got offered an apprenticeship to learn how to teach Qigong, which is quite rare, in Oxford. Wow. So that led me, I moved to Oxford from London and trained with him. He's a good friend of mine now. I've known him for a long, long time. Uh, someone called Gio Maschio, who mm -hmm. also teaches Qigong. And I did an apprenticeship with him for a few years and then sort of stepped into assisting and eventually teaching my own classes here. He moved away to Barbados and I also then was teaching at a college at Reading. So lots of Qigong teaching. Yeah. The Chinese training you mentioned, was that in China or was that in the UK? So my degree, at the time I studied Chinese medicine, there were three degrees in the UK that you could do Chinese medicine. There were other colleges yeah. um, and two were in London and one was in a little village just outside of um, Brighton called East Grinstead which as a young guy from London I didn't want to go live in a little village <laughs> so I, I chose to do the one in North London that was near where I grew up 
because uh, it was just simple logistically, uh, but it was a five-year degree and it was linked to Beijing University of Chinese Medicine. So four mm. years in the UK doing training. In, um, you've got some basic training in the Chinese language. You trained as an acupuncturist and as a Chinese herbalist. And then the final year you went and did a six, just under six month placement in hospitals in Beijing. And then came back and did your dissertation and clinical in, in mm. London. Mm. And then you were done. Mm. Wow. Mm. So as a child, what influenced you to uh, pursue a career in holistic medicine rather than Western kind of medicine? What was, what was the inspiration? Uh, well, my dad's a genetic technician and my mum's a molecular biologist. So um, my interest was science and definitely not anything spiritual, mm-hmm. let's say. Like, I, I loved nature and I loved science and exploring existence, but I wouldn't, mm, I wouldn't talk to me about chi or spirit or anything like that when I was an 18-year-old boy yeah. from North London. That wouldn't have worked very well. Mm. So did you so, only discover this latent uh, interest or passion for spirituality after you started? I, so the link is, you know, my dad, my parents are a bit older, and so my dad... And my dad likes to read. And so, you know, he was reading in the 60s, he was reading in the 70s, he was reading in the 80s. And so he had he had copies of, there's a book called the Dao Jing, which is a mm-hmm. very famous uh, Chinese text of on sort of spirituality and mysticism and politics as well. Um, and he had a translation and I just kind of liked it. Uh, I was, again, I was like basically just about 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. And he had a book on Zen Buddhism that mentioned that Tai Chi was an embodied form of Taoism, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to and which is arguable. But anyway, that led me to just be curious enough to go and try a class. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I had an old friend of mine who I bumped into who wanted to try it as well, weirdly. And so we went along. Uh, she did not enjoy it, and I did. <laughs> and I did. So it just kind of went from there, mm-hmm. and I'd actually signed up to do zoology. Mm-hmm. I, do, I deferred entry for zoology, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. my interest was going. I was looking to do something like field research or something mm-hmm. with in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you get into things and it changes. So, mm-hmm. so it was a bit random. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely wasn't. Wouldn't say I was explicitly looking at spiritual practices. Yeah, until. Probably nineteen, twenty, something like that. Yeah. What was that spark that you found in that first class when you were taking Tai Chi? Um, I like bo- I like body disciplines. Mm. So I I I like to think. I you know I I enjoy philosophy and theory and things like that. But mm-hmm. I like I like movement. I like physical disciplines. So I like sports when I was growing up. Things like that. And so, yeah, Tai Chi's reasonably difficult. The coordinations aren't straightforwards. Um, you know, if you're learning a long Tai Chi form, you have to practice what you got that week because the next week they had a new bit. You might get away with it for two weeks, but it starts building up and you're not going to know what you're doing. So you have to practice a bit. And that particular teacher had things where you were ideally, once you'd learned the form, you could start in a position, 
close your eyes and run through the whole form mm -hmm. and end up where you started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which isn't that easy because your spatial skills have to be up. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just, I enjoyed the movement. I enjoyed the challenge. Um, I didn't feel chi or anything for about six months. Mm -hmm. They were telling you things. It feel like you're moving, like you're a puppet on a string and da 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 da, mm -hmm. da. You know, I just was enjoying it, but... Mm -hmm. And then, and then I remember doing a movement once, and it felt more like that. Mm -hmm. And then I got excited, and then it didn't happen for mm -hmm. another six months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was just chi was. I didn't come into it with a lot of beliefs, or mm -hmm. I'm a very practical person. Mm -hmm. So I, I I prefer generally to focus on things that I directly experience, mm -hmm. be they physical, energetic, or spiritual, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than things I haven't. Right, right. But I also know that um, your interest in Qigong, Tai Chi, Chinese medicine also ended up being, whether or not you intended it, uh, mm -hmm. a launching pad into many other spiritual practices too, um, like Sufism and so on. For sure. Um, I, yes, that's true. I didn't do anything outside of Qigong, Chinese medicine, Taoism, which all have very large shared technical languages. They have overlaps. Mm -hmm. I did not touch any other traditions for mm -hmm. a decade. Right, right. So, not saying anyone else needs to do that, but I, I wanted to get a very strong grounding mm -hmm. in the basics yeah, yeah. within mm -hmm. one tradition. Right. And then at a certain point, it naturally started to expand and I cross-trained. Right. So now, since we're speaking about uh, Tai Chi, mm -hmm. um, why wouldn't you tell our listeners, because maybe not everybody knows what Tai Chi is. Can you go through what Tai Chi is? What's the purpose of Tai Chi? And uh, what are you actually doing when you're doing Tai Chi? And Qigong as well. And Qigong. Sure. Yeah. Well, they're two different questions, mm -hmm. uh, but they're related. So if you want to look at Qigong, you know, there's connections here. Oxford University, academics. Like We like to break things down. I might not have trained at Oxford, but you know. <laughs> People who are interested in scholarly things, it's like separating things into nice tidy mm -hmm. yeah, section, sections. Reductive. Like, yeah. yeah. So when you look, one way of looking at Qigong is that there's there's Buddhist school, schools of Qigong, there's Confucian schools of Qigong, there's Taoist schools of Qigong, there's medical schools of Qigong, mm -hmm. um, and then there's martial qi, schools of Qigong. And... Again, in reality, those are very blurry lines, but it can be helpful to think about it that way. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at something like Tai Chi, effectively it's a form of martial Qigong originally. Until the 1930s, there wasn't anybody doing Tai Chi who wasn't doing it for fighting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, the, the, it comes, there's a village called the Chen village, which is the original style of Tai Chi, Chen style Tai Chi. And then there's a very student, famous student, who there's all different legends about him. If you're interested in those things, then you know the usual stories of hardships, pretending to be mute and deaf for 15 mm -hmm. years, not sleeping, peeking through the window, <laughs> practicing into the night, getting found out, and then beating everyone, <laughs> and then being accepted as a you know the usual <laughs> martial arts movie style stories. Um, but you can. No one knows for sure what happened, but you can definitely say that his name was Yang Chan, And by the time he left that village, he had blessings to go teach it. 
and he ended up training the Imperial Guard, which is like saying you're training the Secret Service right, who protect right. the, you know, like if you can't fight, you're not going to get that job. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's, it's, a, you know, so at that time, that's what it was. It was considered a very effective martial art. And his grandson, and then one of his top students, his son, who were friends in the 30s, took Tai Chi. They were based, they shared a school in Shanghai. Uh, and they didn't have all different names. It wasn't Chen style, Sun style. It was just Tai Chi. Because mm-hmm. they were all, but over time, the lineages have showed themselves by, it links back to Wu Zhen Chan, it links back to Yang Yu Chan, etc. But they effectively considered themselves um, in the same lineage and they modified the form together and came up with a form that they taught publicly. So they taught Tai Chi publicly and the Tai Chi that was taught publicly was taught for health. Mm-hmm. Um, every movement in Tai Chi, whether you were taught it or not, has multiple martial arts applications. Um, so it's a bit of a shock sometimes if you if you haven't realised that and you watch there used to be something on BBC where they'd be in nice red silk robes and their hands are waving <laughs> and it looks really lovely. The thing is lots of those movements are joint breaks or you or you know you're you're crippling so <laughs> so like the applications were classically always taught even if you weren't doing it for fighting because it helped focus your consciousness and your intent mm-hmm. to enable you to start accessing your your chi mm-hmm. which we can get into mm-hmm. so tai chi is a form of martial qigong and there are lots of different types of qigong Mm-hmm. Is that enough for us to start with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. So, so yeah. So let's dive into chi. So, uh, I I know from the conversations you and I have had that um, the actual experience of chi um, matters much more than the academic uh, sort of o- Oxford style, as you would say, uh, yeah. understanding of chi. Um, there, there's something about it that is ineffable that you can't really put into words through, you know, or at least through 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 methods of rational analysis. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, um, I think it'd be good to, to ground the audience in, in, in an understanding of, sure. of what qi is, as far as it can be. Yeah, yeah for sure. Words. So again, qi is a very, if you look at classical Chinese culture, qi is a huge term, which covers a lot of different domains, um, far, far bigger than qigong. Mm-hmm. Um, qi is... Uh, on its broadest scale, when you look, I know you're all interested in consciousness and the universe and existence, so we'll go to that space because it's good. Um, when they're talking about cosmology and how wherever we are came into existence, there's space, and then within that space, chi arises. And that chi they call it yuan chi which is kind of primordial chi or the original chi and and that chi is non-differentiated so there's lots of overlaps with if you ever go and read big bang stuff this nebulous plasmic stuff it's neither it's not formed any shapes yet it's not taken any particular form so so that is chi Mm -hmm. and that chi then splits into heaven and earth which is considered the most primary form of yin and yang Hmm. 
and from heaven and earth comes that that separation comes everything mm-hmm. yeah so everything is chi right there isn't anything that isn't chi mm-hmm. apart from space right which chi is in right right so at that level chi's a pretty big concept right right but when you start looking at how people apply it technically right within different disciplines if you were, if you were a weatherman tian chi is weather Mm-hmm. So, right. so you, the 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 chi of the heavens means kind of the weather, or mm-hmm. in very old texts, it can also link to how the stars are moving and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then, if you're talking about in Chinese medicine, they use the word chi. They're talking about chi within the context of what is it that is there when you're alive that is not the moment you're dead. You can say mm-hmm. it's consciousness, but they're focused also on this aliveness mm-hmm. animation and responsiveness yeah. of the of the body the flesh yes yeah, yeah um is there are you familiar with the four elements and then the fifth element and so would the, would she be the fifth element so if you have water air, earth fire and then chi or in other traditions other names okay. so in chinese they have five elements but they're not the same okay hmm. so they have they have earth they have metal they have water mm-hmm. they have wood and they have fire yeah. yeah and one very interesting one that you might the Chinese tradition is usually very earthy mm-hmm. um, they have beliefs on things like the soul you know it's their ancestor worship has gone on in in China for thousands and thousands of years and it still does go on so they have beliefs in the afterlife and all those sorts of things but one way someone put it to me really nicely is there's a lot of emphasis on the space element within a lot of the other traditions and those are also really big on the reincarnation. If they have any of those five elements that's in the centre in some of the oldest diagrams, it's the earth, the soil. Mm-hmm. So they're very earth focused. Um, so getting into elements, if you, we could do that later, that's... A, a, more complicated yeah topics. so yeah. I, I'm interested in this idea that the chi is this yes this undifferentiated oneness but also this thing that's pervasive um, yep. to the entire universe um, so if chi is something that is all pervasive um, then why is it that we're not in touch with this with, with our chi at all times why do we need this uh, separate practice for being able to access it uh, okay. Um, I know if I work really hard, I could become a billionaire, maybe. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't help me very much. <laughs> so, so knowing that something is there intellectually mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't do is not the same. So, so. It, the actual capacity, if you start talking about that, then you have to talk about things like awareness. Right. And so, having an awareness that is genuinely aware of that... Right. Um, ...is not common. Yes. I would say it's probably much, much easier to become a billionaire. Right, right. So, uh, that's a lot of work Yeah. to yeah. get yeah. to that spot. Or calmer if you're going to go down that road but right. that's just work before <laughs> right, right so so that you know that that kind of stuff again 
on a practical level, if you, at least this is the Chinese view, right, right, because we can go into other ones, but if you are, are if you are not able to feel the the energy of your body, right, and you, if you if you are not able to have a sense that your body is alive and and there's something interfacing mm-hmm. between your mm-hmm. consciousness and your flesh. Mm-hmm. You're very unlikely mm. to be able to have awareness of far more subtle forms of energy right. that pervade vast distances. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. So I guess there's chi and there there's the blockages to the awareness of chi. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you say then that, that the practice of qigong is a practice of overcoming uh, those blockages? Um, or is it more about sort of accessing this this feeling of aliveness that, that you were just referring to? Okay, so qigong is not spiritual. Mm-hmm. Right, you can be extremely unspiritual and right. very very good at qigong. Mm-hmm. Energy is not intrinsically spiritual. Mm-hmm. No, no more than money is bad or good. It's, right, right. It's something that you can have access to or not. Right, right. And with that access, you have certain options. Yes. Um, Star Wars. Yeah. You know, you have op. The four, you know, right, we, yeah, uh, yeah. I got funny look there. <laughs> uh, you know, you have options with what you do with that skill. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, if you have if you have access to a skill that most people don't have access to, for sure you could manipulate people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a skill, but it's not intrinsically spiritual. One of the um, just to link it back to Tai Chi, one of the most highly regarded and respected practitioners of Tai Chi like his was considered to be an incredible practitioner of Tai Chi mm-hmm. not just in, ter- in terms of like martial arts everything mm-hmm. uh, not and they did not practice meditation they just practiced Qigong right um, committed suicide right right mm-hmm. yeah so not to say that someone committing suicide is intrinsically unspiritual mm-hmm. but it's very hard to say that at that time that person was emotionally balanced right right so you have to be in a very difficult spot to get to to make that decision yeah so from a Taoist perspective for sure his emotional energy wasn't balanced right right I'm not making light of it but it's a it's it's a permanent solution from a Taoist perspective it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem yeah yeah anything given time will change yes if you're in a difficult situation, it will shift to a good situation, and a good situation will shift to a bad situation. So, they would recommend. They think it's quite nice here. Yeah. <laughs> so, even if you're having a difficult time, they would say try and stay around mm-hmm. and go through that. So, that's hopefully maybe an example of Qigong does not have to. Be, and he also was actually he was quite mean. He used right. to, like not many people complete training with him. Yeah. Because he used to break their bones. Yeah. Yeah. So. If they did, they were really good martial artists, but yeah. it's like not many people want to go through that. Right, right, right. So, 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 so you're right that there's yeah a separation between um, the uh, spiritual questions yeah. uh, and just like the actual practice um, yeah. of qigong. Um, so maybe you can walk us through that then. Yeah, uh, for sure. You talk about you talk about um, the practice of qigong as something that puts you in touch with this feeling of aliveness. Um, and, uh, you know, just as an, as an, as an outsider looking into a practice of Qigong, you'd see people essentially just moving their bodies, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, 
and uh, how are those movements meant to uh, bring about this this feeling of aliveness? Okay, so if we go back to these five schools of of major branches or styles of Qigong, or groups of Qigong schools, Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism have a spiritual focus mm -hmm. to some extent, yeah. And then the martial is focused on winning fights, not losing mm -hmm. them. And the medical is effectively based on beating diseases, not losing to them. Yeah. So when you're talking about Qigong within a Buddhist context or a Taoist context or a Confucian context, mm -hmm. they, it is being used mm -hmm. as part of a, a spiritual process. Yeah. Yeah. But it it doesn't have to be. Is all mm -hmm. I'm saying. That's, mm -hmm. I'm just. I'm a bit of a yes bit picky sometimes yeah. with those things so um you know when you when you're talking with any of those though if until you can start to feel chi you can't do anything but mm -hmm. you, you there there's there, the it takes for most people it takes time mm -hmm. to start accessing the energy of their body mm -hmm. and the most natural way to do that is through the body, mm -hmm. normally, not through the mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to have the mind there, but if you're trying to access the energy of your body rather than the energy of your mind, it's much easier to do that by doing body-based disciplines. Right, right. So these movements make you pay attention to your body. They mm -hmm. make your mind be present in your body. Right. And if your mind is not present in your body, you are not going to be able to feel what's going on. Right, right. So that's the first step of mm -hmm. any Qigong system, yes. is get that person where what they're doing is what they've been asked to do. Right, right. Not thinking about the shopping, um, getting distracted, my back sore. Like the mind is wandering. You're getting the point to the point where the mind is able to just stick with what's happening and yes. to stick with the feeling of the body yes yes but of course you know getting in touch with your body and and uh, getting out of your mind is arguably the intention of uh any um body focus um practice that that has you know some kind of spiritual import like for example yoga etc so so why does qigong prescribe the movements in the way that it does that's highly specific question about a very big area mm. so a medical qigong set will prescribe movements for medical reasons mm -hmm. martial arts qigong forms will have movements for martial reasons mm -hmm. a Taoist qigong form may have movements for Taoist reasons right, yeah right, right. but there are thousands of schools of qigong mm -hmm. and within those major schools there are multiple lineages so I can't really answer yeah. a question like that in, right, a, right, right. in an honest way. Right, right. Like, um, I can talk about specific forms that I've mm. practiced. Mm -hmm. That we can do. Yeah. But yeah. a general thing about the entirety of Qigong is really quite hard. Yes, yeah. At yeah. least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's go into that then, uh, into, into your individual practice. So in terms of things that I've done in general, yeah. I think one interesting way to look at Qigong there's spontaneous qigong and then there's non-spontaneous qigong mm -hmm. and and most qigong styles are not spontaneous qigong but there's similar things in the yogic tradition where they have spontaneous things kundalini shakti mm -hmm. yeah. stuff yeah. Yeah. things like that yeah now in kundalini shakti it's explicitly linked to as far as i can tell um 
the release of consciousness in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, but within spontaneous qigong, it's about the release of qi mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the body that mm-hmm. is stuck, mm-hmm. which may or may not lead you into mm. spiritual states. Mm-hmm. It, it's more that, but it probably will make you healthy. Yeah, because the energy in your body, if it's flowing well, they're saying in Chinese is. Um, I can do it in Chinese. It rhymes in Chinese, but anyway, in English it means if it, if it hurts, then it's not flowing or it's it's not free. Mm-hmm. And if it's free, it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this ability for if energy, if you can have the energy inside your body be free, mm-hmm. you're not really going to get sick because mm-hmm. that's the basis of their view of illness. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that the chi in your body or the fluids in your body aren't aren't able to flow freely and naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you start talking about spontaneous qigong, mm, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. There's not, I do this and now I do this and then, mm-hmm. okay, I can do that. Yeah, now I do the next thing. And so that's a really different, that, that if you start feeling qi in that, you know you didn't, make it happen you didn't imagine mm-hmm. it because you didn't know what you were going to do anyway mm-hmm. when you start going for most qigong schools where you have very specific methodologies mm-hmm. depending on the school um then they have different ways of helping you to access it what you're doing with your breathing mm-hmm. where are you paying attention with your mind in different parts of different movements mm-hmm. are you shifting your attention in pathways are you does that coordinate with your movement if Mm -hmm. you do that with your breathing what does that do so they usually build it up in pieces Mm -hmm. and then they start to integrate those pieces together Mm -hmm. um does that answer your question or not really yeah i had a question about chi sure you mentioned uh, kundalini shakti Mm -hmm. and you mentioned that um kundalini shakti is about release of consciousness whereas chi is about the, the inner liveness um, I tend to think of chi or prana mm-hmm. or um, kundalini shakti as the same energy but a different intensity or different forms of the same energy sure um, so could you think or a different of different mode of accessing it yeah I'm talking about exactly. chi within the context of qigong okay not on the larger scale sure. which includes emotions or consciousness consciousness is a form yeah. of chi let's talk about yeah. it as in the sensation like the energy in the body that you can experience and feel okay if you uh, do kundalini, you have a certain sensation you can describe. Um, and I'm sure if you do qigong, you have a different, but somewhat also similar in some ways. Wh- what is your conceptualization of that energy? Is it two different kinds of energies, or is it just qi in the broader sense, but a different manifestation of that qi, as you okay. experience it, yeah. So, um, again, just like kundalini, it, it can get te- technical, but effectively one major way it's broken down is there's a unifying chi of the body that's called jung chi which just means kind of upright chi or it's got different translations in english but there's a one one kind of chi that all the other ways you break it down they're variants on that that energy yeah but then you have within the body all the every organ of your body has its own quality of chi mm-hmm, yeah. but that's not a substance mm-hmm. that's chi that's uh, the nicest way someone I know said it's like there's energy flowing around your body 
and when it goes into an organ and that in Chinese medicine texts they say that that each organ has a kind of chi there's lung chi and liver chi and yeah. there are these different chi yes, yeah. it's more like in Formula 1 when the car goes into the pit stop <laughs> and then that something happens in that place mm -hmm. and then the car leaves mm -hmm. yeah so there's kinds of energy there's lots of different types yeah. of chi in Chinese yeah. medicine and so the specific question and Chinese medicine and qigong are very very close connected because um, they it's like sports and sports medicine yeah they're, they're just totally overlap but when you start saying like how do if you want to ask like what are the things that people start to feel when they start doing qigong that are signs that their qi and blood are starting to move classic ones are things like a sense of warmth mm -hmm. or a sense of um, expansion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a sense of uh, heaviness but all of these if someone could feel heavy someone else could feel light if yeah, someone mm -hmm. feels warm someone could get really cold mm -hmm. yeah. so you you in the beginning you get these experiences they talk about the 10,000 experiences mm -hmm. and you don't know why they're happening you're mm -hmm. practicing qigong and one day I feel really cold and then the next day I do the exact same movements and the weather's not any different and I feel hot mm -hmm. so I don't really know my way around and so I can't make my body hot or cold. Mm -hmm. I can just do something and it changes my body temperature. Right, right. I don't have that, that, that sort of nuance yet. But classically things like changes in internal pressures, changes of temperature. Some people have a feeling of magnetism if they're mm. between their hands, mm -hmm. tingling, yeah. warmth. These are the sort of classic signs light sweat on the tips of the fingers if you're practicing certain types of qigong is considered a sign that the blood and the energy is getting all the way to the extremities which is considered a good thing so often people can't feel qi but they just feel good afterwards mm -hmm. but they can't they, they can't they can't exactly say what's happening they just do yeah. the movements and then they like it enough that they want to do them again tomorrow but they don't necessarily. Have. So, so, what is it like? What it, what it, what has it been like, and what is it now like for you to experience chi? How did that evolve? Obviously, it's difficult to describe. It's difficult. Twenty to years is a long time, but okay. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, for me, for ten years, um, ten years into my training, I'll do it this way. Ten years into my training, I went and did a month-long training that was based around breathing and making the jump to chi, to this jung chi. And after that, my experience of what chi is is different. Most of the time when we're practicing qigong, you're, what we're feeling is the responses of things inside of us to chi moving, not the chi itself. Mm. Mm. So the actual capacity to feel, in my, in my experience, teaching and treating and things, the actual capacity to directly perceive chi moving in the body is rare. Mm -hmm. Without training, it's extremely rare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the ability to feel the impacts of chi yes. yeah. is very common. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's an empath or highly sensitive people, there are these different labels coming out now, but these people, introverts, people who need time on their own to process the interactions from a Qigong or Chinese medicine perspective, most of these people 
are heavily impacted by the chi of the environment, the chi of other people mm. and their emotions and but they don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so they for me often you feel the impacts of chi flow in your body. Yeah. Mm -hmm not necessarily the chi itself mm. yes okay. but for me but for me now obviously like yeah like it's hard to do my job if i can't feel chi right and so, so how would you describe what it feels like or what the did it spread over the course of the body is it consistent through the day okay like, um think about a tree where does the trunk end and the branches begin, where do the branches end mm -hmm. and the twigs begin, where do the twigs end and the leaves begin, where do the veins of the leaves, you know, like, you can go into more and more detail. When you're, it's a very hard question to answer, so just give me a moment. Um, when you're, pretty much the, the way that you know you've accessed this underlying chi that unifies the whole body is it doesn't change. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like it doesn't change because if it's changing, it's not one thing. So if it's changing, you're noticing its forms of manifestation in the body. Mm. You're noticing how is this form of unified chi in its yin aspect functioning yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. But but they're simultaneous. The in in um, in Chinese philosophy, most people know the the yin yang. It's usually it's called yes. the yin yang diagram. Is usually what we call it in the West. In Chinese culture, it's called Taiji. Uh, and yin and yang and Taiji are not really exactly the same. Again, sometimes it's technical language. Um, liang they call it liang yi when they're talking about yin and yang as two distinct opposites. So if I love you, I can automatically hate you. Yeah. Like I can't create one without creating the other. Yeah. But if I fixate on hate, I may actually completely dislink from love. Mm -hmm. And if I focus on love, I might completely dislink from hate. Mm -hmm. From a Chinese view, love and hate are the same energy in different forms mm -hmm. yeah and so the, when you get to any with anything when you take these two opposite but directly connected mm -hmm. opposites that are co-formed yeah the energy that is the same that those two are aspects of mm -hmm. Is a form of Taiji. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, so this Jiangchi is effectively the Taiji, and it's the same Taiji as Taiji, the mm. Taiji Chan, this mm, mm. exercise forms. This this state of Taiji is is beyond the dualities. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't study Yin and Yang within it. Yeah. You're just not stuck. Yeah. Mm. Th that's very interesting because it, it reminds me of non-duality, which is something that we've discussed a lot yeah. on this podcast. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so you were making this distinction between uh, the impact of chi on your body and the actual feeling of chi. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it strikes me that by discussing this sort of um, non-dual non energy, right, that you're tapping into... Um, is something that's you know beyond the the polarities 
that, that it's almost like what you're describing is, is, is something that's sort of metaphysical. Um, uh, Could be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, whereas, you know, the, the impact of chi on your organs, on, you know, various different, you know, uh, receptors in your body, right, that, that's, that, that strikes me as something that's more somatic. So, so, so in other words, what I'm, what I'm trying to point out is that there's, there, there's some point where you're going beyond the somatic, beyond what's, you know, directly perceived in your body into some kind of a non-dual, uh, understanding. That's is not it? my experience. I can okay. see why you would see it that way, but that's not what I'm saying mm, at all. Okay. Okay. So, so if you, if you, if you get the capacity to feel chi in your body, mm -hmm. right? of any kind. Probably in the beginning, let's assume, even if you're feeling chi, it's not this underlying chi that underlies everything, mm -hmm. because it's like that's kind of hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then even if you're just looking for the underlying unifying chi of your own body, mm -hmm. that's still not very likely mm -hmm. out of all the different chi's yeah. that you could happen to notice first, right, right. that's the one you notice <laughs> first. Yeah, yeah. It could be, but it's probably not. Because normally we notice change. Mm -hmm. We notice something gets hot, yes, something yeah. gets cold, yeah. something goes light, mm -hmm. something goes dark, and you notice these shifts. Yeah. Um, so what happens is you you start engaging with the chi of the body, and you start learning how to access or develop right. yin chi in the body right. or yang chi in the body. Yeah. How can I make my body hot? How can I make my body cold? Mm -hmm. How can I get to a point where... Um, I can make it cold whenever I want or hot. I'm just making this all yeah, up, but sure. just to give you an example, cold whenever I want, hot whenever I want. Then at a certain point, I don't really need to care anymore. Getting hot doesn't bother me. If it really bothers me, I just make it cold. If I get really cold, I just make it really hot. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to interfere with it anymore. Right, right. I can just leave it alone and it will change between hot and cold as mm -hmm. is natural. Right, right. But, but to get to that stage, usually you have to train mm. those yin and yang separately. Right. And then you start training, I don't know how to, I'll try and switch the example here. You're picking a, it's a tricky subject. You're, chi is a complex subject. Hopefully it's an interesting subject if you're <laughs> listening. But, um, say I'm aware of my feet, mm -hmm. which are considered a yin part of the body. Right, that, and there's something that happens if I practice qigong. If I do a whole set of movements, and the whole time some part of my awareness is on my feet and on the floor beneath my feet, mm -hmm. that will have a certain impact on my insides, mm -hmm. the way my body feels, the way my mind is, the way my energy is. Or I could shift and have my attention on the crown of my head, which is considered a yang mm -hmm. as place in the body energetically, and and doing the whole exact same set of movements with that awareness awareness on that spot effectively starting to stimulate energy motions in that spot you end up in a different quality of mind mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm, right but then at a certain point there's a small amount of my awareness that never leaves the crown of my head mm -hmm. even if i'm training yes just my feet right or i'm mainly training my crown but there's always a little bit that's in my feet right 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 so i never you have that yin and yang syndrome mm. you always have these dots right right so you know you stop getting these dislinks right i'm in the yang and I've forgotten about the yin, or I'm in the yin, and I've forgotten about the yang. Right, right. I'm always in both. Then there's this flux, fluxing in between them. Right. It doesn't bother me. Right. The difficulties come with the dislinks. Yeah. Kind of a shock. 
you yeah. didn't see you forget about it I'm looking over here something smacks me from the back <laughs> I didn't see it coming yeah so being being in that energy right that's a very that's not really a metaphysical yeah thing. yeah it can go to metaphysical mm. Taiji can go to heaven and earth the marriage of heaven and earth mm -hmm. maybe it is a marriage yeah um is a form of Taiji right right so that's for most of us is going to be metaphysical right but if you're interested in consciousness and you're talking about spiritual traditions of the world right right in Taoism it's metaphysical if you're a scholar yeah it's not metaphysical if you're a Taoist immortal right you right, directly right. perceive that right right I can't do that I right. don't know what right. they, I don't know what that really means right so if I talk about that level it's metaphysical yeah but if I talk about yin and yang and taiji in the body, for me that is not metaphysical. Right. That is very, very real, mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. It is physical. Tangi yeah. Tangible. Tangible, yeah. that's yeah. the perfect yeah. word. So, right. uh, a, a couple of questions. Um, so to sort of segue, you said earlier that if it's really hard, I can make my body cold. Would you say that then one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why you practice Qigong is to sort of... Um, act as a kind of uh, stabilizer, as it were. So then, when the environment goes too much this way, that won't affect me because I can yeah. just compensate. I can just mm -hmm. tilt the other way, yeah. and that way, whatever happens outside, I have a degree of independence of well-being because I can always just yes. take it on that. Yeah. So if it, that's the pretty much the definition, say, of medical qigong. Mm. Medi mm. Medical qigong is focused on your health, homeostasis. And so, yeah. can I can I comfortably ride the fluctuations of the seasons? It's pretty mm. hot right now. Mm. Like you know, can I comfortably ride these changes in a way that doesn't cause major disturbances and distortions in my body? Mm -hmm. Qigong, a medical qigong set, that would be their focus. Mm. Um, a martial arts qigong is application focused. So it's like, can I, can I knock this person out? Mm -hmm. If if my chi is not strong enough, I punch them and they're still standing up. Then mm -hmm. then they're going to punch me back. Mm -hmm. And if if that's your interest, then I mean you can go, mm -hmm. you can go see this online. There's lots of people doing funky qigong things, <laughs> and then taking on people from MMA, and and, <laughs> and it's not working out very well. <laughs> you know, um, but I would say that anybody from MMA who challenged someone like Yang Yu Chan back in the day, that would be like challenging someone Spetsnaz or SAS. Like it's not going to go very well, you know. Um, it's not, you know. Um, so it's application focused. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you're, because you're, if I'm doing a read of your energy. <laughs> Um, you're interested in spirituality, and so most of your questions are naturally leaning in that direction. Mm -hmm. yeah. My personal, if you're talking about my personal, like the qigongs that I teach, they're, they are forms of Taoist qigong. I am mm. interested in Taoism, and within the context of Taoist lineages, qigong is a preparatory practice for Taoist meditation, but it is mm. not Taoist meditation. Mm -hmm. um, so within that context... Stabilizing the chi of your body is important because if you look at Chinese medicine, mm. someone who gets angry all the time is viewed as having a liver chi imbalance. Mm. So if I balance the energy of the liver, they're not going to get as angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. that like just like when people get drunk, they can get angry. Chinese same view it affects the liver. 
and and there's other funny things like um, both in Western medicine and Chinese medicine, I've come across things that have effectively made links, say, between the energy of the kidneys or the the, the health level of the kidneys and depression. So some people, if they only have one functional kidney, Western medicine here, one functional kidney, highly prone to clinical depression. Mm. And in Chinese medicine, if your kidney energy is very low, you're prone to depression. Mm. So um, that's that's an energetic, or from a Chinese medicine view, that's an energetic, or in Western medicine, a physiological imbalance mm-hmm. that then leads to an emotional mm-hmm. issue, just like you, you're doing neuro, neuroscience and transmitters and all those sorts of things. So it's mm, in the middle. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So then to follow this further, so let's say within your schema, yep. the, you're a Taoist Qigong practitioner. Yep. So in that case, what's the point, right? Why do you do this? You could be, uh, as a Sufi, becoming one okay. with God. Me d- personally? D- drowning into the ocean. Bear in mind, I'm a teacher. So like Both, both. You personally, I guess, it would be the way you would understand it best. But I suppose, what is the, what, what are the prospects? What can one do? Why would one choose to do this with one's life? To dedicate okay. oneself to f- developing this when? Well, if you're devoting, if you're devoting your life to it, then then that's not like most people. Okay. Yeah. Most people are not going to be doing qigong as their like life path. Okay. So it's going to be it's going to be like going to the gym or having some a hobby that you're interested in. Hmm. Yeah. So most people who study qigong is something that they enjoy, and even if they do it every day, it's like you say, it's something that helps them feel good. It helps hmm. them feel balanced and comfortable. They don't get sick so often, maybe things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you start talking about like why do I do it, then then you link it to things like Taoism, and so for me, it it's practical. Um, if I am unable to, I'll do this from both directions. If I am able to balance and stabilize the energy of my body. So it becomes very stable. My emotions, there's there's more. My emotions are like pebbles landing in a more stable pool. Mm -hmm. There's less ripples, Mm -hmm. yeah, and that's very useful because then you can, or maybe you don't know what your emotions are really doing. Mm But if you can feel, if you know your chi is balanced and you know your physical body is balanced and then something starts disturbing your chi, what is it? Mm-hmm. You're going to start looking at something new. When you, when, you, when you have things, when you get very familiar with something, it disappears into the background. And then you don't really notice mm-hmm. it anymore, and you can mm-hmm. notice other things. Mm-hmm. So if you get incredibly familiar with your chi, then you can start to notice what affects your chi. And it could be your body, but usually you have to get quite familiar with your body to get familiar with your chi. So I know that my standing alignments are good. I now know that my breathing is pretty smooth and steady. And the energy in my body feels like it's flowing pretty smoothly. Mm-hmm. And then then someone calls me and tells me my grandmother's sick just in the middle of my Qigong practice 
I'm still kind of tuned in. I'm like, holy hell, my breathing's mm. totally shifted. Mm -hmm. My insides feel totally different. How do I get back to that state? Mm. I have to work with my chi. <laughs> mm. And if, if my chi is very stable or I get very familiar with it, those disturbances, you can just smooth them out straight away. Mm. And so once, and once your chi is stable, largely, then you're freed up to start focusing on the emotional chi, mm -hmm. which is another kind of chi, but it's more refined. Mm. Again, most people, from my view, don't feel directly mm. the energy of their emotions. Mm. They mm. feel the specific emotions or the impacts mm. on their body, on their glands. On, mm -hmm. you know, right. They don't really, from mm. my view, feel the chi yeah. of the emotion itself. Which is kind of the texture, say, of the emotion, for someone who doesn't understand chi. Yeah. The These are very hard yeah, things yeah, to talk yeah. about. Um, emo emotion, you know, there's an underlying, just like I've said about the type, there's an underlying chi right. that underlies all of your emotions, at least in the tradition that I come from. Okay. And if you can learn to tune into that energy, ultimately, no emotion can really bother you. Right. Mm -hmm. They can't throw you off the horse. Mm. But again, like even if you start tuning into the chi of emotions, what are the odds out of all of the different emotions you can feel that the one you st the first one that you get across is like, oh, that's the emotion or energy that underlies all of these different emotions I can yeah. feel. It's unlikely. So, yeah. um, at least in the tradition I'm in, it's a gradual path. It's not in Zen. You've got uh, Soto and Rinzai, and you know. In a lot of ways, they're both gradual, but they Rinzai focuses on this idea that you have this like moment, of mm. and in a lot of ways, Soto has this gradual progression in. They had those debates in Taoism in China mm. mm -hmm. a thousand years ago, and mm. they most of the Tao schools went for gradual, mm. a gradual path. Mm -hmm. So you're just working in through these doorways, they call them mm. the doorway of Qi, yeah. leads you into the doorway of emotions, which can lead you into the doorway of thought. Mm. Yeah. And then, just to finish up, so Please. and the idea there, as you go deeper into these, essentially, you're made up of these things, right? You're made up of chi, you're made up of emotions, you're made up of thoughts. Everyone is made up of this, right? But the greater the sensitivity you have to it, yep. and then the, great, the, the greater the sensitivity, the greater the amount that you can influence it, affect it, in a way that will lead to your well-being. So you're sort of going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, more and more and more sensitive, and then more and more familiar, more and more skillful so as to be able to attain peace of mind that's not troubled by the world. Okay. Is that the idea? Kind of, yes. Uh, I'm, it, I'm obviously, everything I say is just my perspective. Yeah, just um, you probably, if you're interested in energy and spirituality, you're going to have a circle of friends. If you're listening, same deal. If anyone who's listening to this podcast is definitely going to be interested in those sorts of things. Think about your most sensitive, in that term that you use that, your most sensitive friends, how stable are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah? And then think of your most stable friends, mm. how sensitive are they? Mm, yeah. mm -hmm. So often they're a yin and a yang. Mm, yeah? Yeah. Mm, mm. So the, the issue is, the issue is, Building them both up, mm -hmm. lots of people get very, very, very sensitive mm -hmm. 
with energetic practices. Um, you've got to bear in mind a lot of, you know, certainly the yogic tradition, it's a mountain tradition. Mm, yeah. Like the yogis, like, so eating a, a vegetarian diet in the mountains, you know, you're living a very mm. pure life. That can be very difficult to translate to the middle of Mexico City, <laughs> like with 22 million people, like because because being extremely open and sensitive mm. in the mountains is fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but but just having that sensitivity mm. in an urban environment is tricky. Yeah. Um, so to me, there 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 there. There's a really important play between sensitivity and stability, and being mm -hmm. really clear about that is quite important because, yeah, yeah, I teach Qigong and I practice Taoist meditation, but I also do Chinese medicine, so mm. I end up treating people. Yeah, and you know, if you can do Qigong medicine, that's a to some extent I can do that. I, you know, it's a very again, it's a big topic, but you know, that's a rare specialization, and. Most people don't really understand how chi works or or prana works in the body. Mm. Even a yoga teacher, most yoga teachers aren't fully trained Ayurvedic doctors. Yeah, it's it's not the same level of knowledge. Um, there are a lot of problems if you train qigong only to become more sensitive, mm -hmm. because what happens is, especially if you train in certain lineages, they say say push through it, train more. If you train more and more, you would get to this point where it'll, okay, maybe. But you know, if you if you if you train if you think of yourself like a a microphone, yeah, yeah, a sensitive microphone is great, but for sure there's more being processed because it's picking up more. Mm -hmm. So there's more to process. So there's there's a load that goes mm -hmm. with sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with that stability, all of that extra sensitivity doesn't bother you at all. <laughs> you can be very very stable and extremely sensitive <laughs> most of the time when you say someone's sensitive what you mean to me is often they're unstable <laughs>